Good morning. Greetings in our precious Savior's name again. A beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day. Appreciate very much the devotional this morning. I blessed by the thoughts that were shared there, the hoary head. I don't know about you all, brothers and sisters. I I enjoyed my youth. There's a lot of things there I wish I could go back and redo, but that's not possible. But I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. The more I understand of the Word of God and what I what God has for his children and store for the future. I'm I'm looking forward to my eternal reward. And I feel so sorry for people that are so focused on their trying to retain their youthful appearance and trying to stay in that state and somehow I feel like they don't understand what God has in store for them. This morning I like to share something with you all as a congregation here. This is not a message that I had come up with myself. It's something that I had heard and learned from someone else. I remember the brother gave me a tape and Brother Ivan Stallstruis there from the West Haven congregation. I was driving to Delaware to visit my mother. And I remember going down the road listening to this tape and I, I was so uh, emotionally stirred I couldn't even hardly see to drive. And again, just a blessing as I understood in a, in a different way what Jesus Christ had done for me. And speaking of the blood covenant, and after that particular message by this individual that had studied the Jewish culture, now I understand that some of you all possibly have heard a message similar to this, and I didn't, I didn't realize the connection that you had of a, a young couple there from your congregation over in Israel that you possibly uh, have heard some of these things. So we, after that message, I had sought someone that would, uh, could come into our congregation and, and to give us some teaching. And so we were able to do that, and it was such a blessing, and I, I would really encourage you as a congregation, there's different individuals that have studied Jewish culture, because somehow our concept of things as we read scriptures, and I'll just give you a for instance, uh, the one thing I remember in particular in that, that weekend of meetings there, uh, when talked about in Psalm 23 there, when he's talking about, he, he leadeth me in green pastures. Uh, the individual that was sharing there, he said, our concept of green pastures, and as I look in this lush valley here, green pastures is uh, maybe being knee-deep in clover or alfalfa. Uh, that's what we consider green pastures. But as the psalmist was referring to green pastures, was, uh, of course, being in a desert land, that green pastures was a little clump of grass here, a little clump of grass here, a little clump of grass here. And his point was that God gives us what I daily need. Now, here in America, where we in a land of wealth and prosperity, uh, we're used to having things mapped out six months, a year out ahead. We, we like our future secure. 
But there in the desert land, he's talking about one clump of grass, one clump of grass, just what I need for today. Totally changed my whole view of what the psalmist was actually referring to. This morning, I'd like to talk about the blood covenant. And I'd like to read, start in Genesis chapter 12 and look through several verses here. In Genesis 12, and this is where God had called Abraham out of that setting to go into a land that he wasn't sure where he was going to go. You see this relationship that God had desired. Genesis 12, verse 1. I have written beside my Bible, and I want to the individual said it. This was a physical move that Abraham was physically moving out of one land into a, an unknown, but it had spiritual implications. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. Curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, now let's turn to chapter 15. And this is where God enters into a covenant. Genesis 15, verse 1 to 18. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now to, toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took and divided him all these, and excuse me, and he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, and Abram, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that, that, is, that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years. And also that nation whom... They shall serve, will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy father in peace, 
and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, now, let's continue on into chapter 17, the first ten verses there. Verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land whither, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant before, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. And this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. <clears throat> now we see God promising making promises to Abraham in these different verses that we read. He promised the Messiah through his descendants, talking about that, that blessing that he was he's going to bless all nations, and that's, I believe, what he was referring to. He promised him land, an everlasting kingdom. He promised him children. He promised to be his God, his shield, his protection, his exceeding great reward. Now there in chapter 15, if you read in the, the previous chapter there, he had just uh, rescued Lot from those that had captured him. And they were those kings were wanting to give them the earthly treasures and he had turned that down and here God says I, I have something far better for you I'll be your exceeding great reward and yet Abraham had a desire he said God whereby shall I know verse 8 there 15 8 whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it you know, he wanted some kind of a commitment, some kind of a beyond that promise. And as I understand, in the, in the Jewish culture, they call that chutzpah, or a passion for God. 
So God said, I'll make a covenant with you. Now this is where I, I, I never understood really the, what a covenant really was. The covenant in, a, in the biblical sense is more than just a simple agreement or a commitment or a promise, but it's a relationship. A desire to assure the other one that you're entering into a relationship with of, of their love and loyalty. Now, we don't use the word covenant in our, in our time other than in Scripture. Uh, we, we understand what a contract is. The contract is based on suspicion, mistrust. You want evidence to hold the other person to his commitment, so you sign a contract. He promises that he'll do us a particular work for you and so you want to maybe you, maybe you don't trust him and so you want it down in writing something the legal document that you can hold him to that which he has committed promised but a contract only involves it doesn't involve the whole person it just maybe involves his skill or a, a, it's a certain time frame if I promise to do a job in mason work and I I quote a price and I tell them I'll, I'll do this feature and this feature and we sign a contract. Whereas a covenant involves everything about you. It's a total commitment. It involves not only my skill but it involves the person itself. The contract can expire but a covenant is, is something that's unending. There's, But the covenant as I understand it is between a greater party and a lesser party. And sometimes, and I think I've been possibly guilty of that, we think of a marriage as a, as a covenant between a, a man and a woman. But as this individual brought it out, that it's more rightly, it's a covenant of a young couple entering into a covenant relation, relationship with God. And in the Jewish culture, that covenant, as I said, is between a greater party and a lesser party. The greater party sets the terms. They set the terms for himself. He said, I will do this. And he sets the terms for the lesser party that this is what's expected of you in this, in this covenant. I looked up the word covenant, and it's the idea of cutting. It's the root word in covenant is, is to cut. It, it involves blood. So we read there in, in chapter 15, where he tells Abraham, he says you get five things. He says you get a heifer, a she-goat, a ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now it's interesting, but that he didn't have to instruct Abraham what to do with that. Because God was, was entering into something that Abraham, the, the culture, Abraham knew exactly what to do with these. Now as I understand it, and he says there he divided in verse 10, he took them all, he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each one piece against the other. As I understand the cultural thing of, of entering into a covenant, 
is he would take these animals, the larger animals, and they would divide them in half, but leave them intact on the back side. He would just divide them in half and fold them as they laid them beside each other. As to the place where the blood could run into a, a area there, all that blood would drain into this particular area. And then they would, the greater, the one, the greater in, the, in this covenant, he would make a commitment and he would enter into this blood and they would step into this blood and he would stomp in this blood. He'd pull his robes up and he'd stomp in this blood. It created a very powerful picture that I'm committing myself to you and if I fail in my commitment to you, you can do this to me. That you can slay me and you can stop in my blood. Then the lesser party, then he too would enter into that, which that was, was a required of him and his, his part. And he would enter into that blood and he would stomp in that blood as a symbol of his commitment to this relationship. And so that covenant was established. So here we are. The scene is before Abraham. He has the animals prepared there. And I never understood what it was that Abraham experienced here. Okay, God says, Abraham, I will provide the Messiah. I will provide you an inheritance. I will provide you children. I will be your shield. I will be your exceeding great reward. And so Abraham is, is okay, God. But what's my part? In chapter 17, verse 1 there, he says, Walk before me and be perfect. It says there in verse... Okay. Verse 12... As Abraham understood what God was expecting of him in this covenant, God was going to promise him all those things. His part was that he had to walk before him and be perfect. And it says that a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Abraham as he understood what his requirement was now. That with that concept there, that God was saying, I'm willing to enter in this covenant, and if I fail to keep my part, Abram, you can, you can slay me, you can shed my blood. Abraham then realized that if he set so much as one little toe in that blood, he's committing himself to something that was impossible for him to keep. And I think that's what that horror, that darkness that fell upon him, because there was no way he could enter into this relationship with God and keep up his end of the deal. 
that God would destroy him because it was impossible him to, for impossible for him to walk perfectly. But then you see a very beautiful thing in verse seventeen. You have two things there now. And a covenant, if you look it up in the in, in the Strongs, it talks about a cutting, talks about passing between pieces. That's the actual definition if you look it up. And so you see two things there. It says as and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. Both of those, I believe, are symbols of God. And you look in Scripture, a smoking furnace there, I think it was on Mount Sinai. There was smoke there. It was a symbol of God's presence. You also had there as Solomon dedicated the temple. God symbolized his presence there with smoke there, that smoke that descended there on the temple. The other thing of the symbol of God's presence is just simply fire. You have on different occasions where it was a symbol of God's presence. The one most outstanding was, of course, the, the uh, day of Pentecost there where the Holy Spirit was given. What God was willing to do for Abram, he was willing to, to enter into that relationship and that, Abraham, you can hold me to this. But also he was willing to go through it again. They said, Abram, when you fail, you can destroy me. And at that, that covenant, he condemned Jesus Christ to death. God was willing to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves that he was willing to bear the punishment for that which we couldn't keep in that covenant relationship. Years later, God instructed Abram's descendants, Abraham's descendants then, that they were to twice a day In our, in our time frame, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That would have been the third hour and the ninth hour. That they were to, to twice a day, they were to take these animals, one of these animals, and to shed blood as a reminder of God's promise and that covenant which he had promised and committed himself to, to mankind, the promise of the Redeemer, but also is a reminder of our failure in that covenant relationship. And so as you see down through the ages then, and for 1,300 years, I think minus, they said, minus the 70 years of captivity, that the priests would daily offer the animal's as a reminder, and they for, or the goat, the sheep, whatever it was there, 
And so as the priest there with that was looking there on that sundial or the hourglass, and as that was trickling down, it was five minutes, two minutes, one minute. And at that precise time, he would signal to the one standing up there to blow that shofar. shofar blowing and at that precise moment the third priest would take and would cut the throat of that animal and he would have a basin and he would catch that blood and he would throw it against the altar there poured on the altar God please keep your promise it was a reminder of the promise of the Messiah Some 1,800 years later, after God had made the covenant with Abraham, finds us in Jerusalem, and it wasn't just an ordinary Passover. The city was abuzz with rumors. And there Jesus is hanging on the cross. Scripture says that they put Jesus on the cross there, at the, at the third hour, that was nine o'clock, that was precisely at the time of the morning sacrifice. Scripture records that, I think it was in Mark 15, says that the third hour, Jesus was nailed to the cross. During that time on the cross there, then it says at the sixth hour, again, there was a, a darkness fell over the land there, a, a supernatural darkness because it couldn't have been an eclipse because the Passover was always over full moon. I heard different speculation possibly what that darkness was. I've heard different ones that had been involved in occultic practices that uh, there was always a, a darkness of when there was demonic activity around and they thought possibly it was the devil and his hosts were there in, in concentration knowing they had the son of God and they were going to destroy him I don't know I personally I believe that um, just simply creation was covering this shameful deed what was taking place to the son of God But brothers and sisters, what touched me so much is as it said as the ninth hour approached at the evening sacrifice. Again, as the priests standing there in their ritual, what they've been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you had the three priests that were in place there. And again, they were going through that ritual again, that, that sundial of that hourglass was trickling down. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross there, and it says there, there as, as that trickled down, and it was 10 minutes, 5 minutes. 
as Jesus lifted up his head and he cried, It's finished! I've kept my promise. The priests there were taking that blood and said, God, keep your promise. But Jesus said, I kept my part. We've trampled in God's blood. He says, now I'm offering a better covenant. As we looked at the accounts, it says the earthquake. It was a great earthquake. And it says that the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. Now, I can't verify this. I, I have no way of proving it. But they said that veil was some 90 feet high. That was that which separated them from the Holy of Holies. That was the presence of God. There was no one could go into that except the high priest. But it says it was rent. It was such a heavy, uh, I think somebody said it was like 12 ton uh, material, this, this veil, this curtain, that it was humanly impossible for a man to, to rip this thing, to rent it. But as that veil was rent, of course we understand that now we have access into the Holy of Holies. But there was another idea here that I, I, I was so blessed by that thought. Yeah, I believe that's what God intended, that now he could, we could enter into a new covenant with him. That now we could have direct access to God. But yet, as you look in Scripture, you see... Different individuals in time of intense grief and hearing news of, of something that just crushed their hearts, you would have them, they said they rent their, their mantle or their clothing in, in, in a demonstration of intense agony and grief. And the suggestion was given that possibly that God, in seeing his son, Trampled, brutally murdered, his blood spilt, that it was God's way of demonstrating intense grief of what had to happen. I don't know what that does for y'all this morning. But it just stirred my heart as I understood in a, in a complete different way what God done for me. Understanding what that covenant really symbolized. It's not a light-hearted agreement. You know, we enter into commitments and we take it so lightly. But in that culture, this was something very serious. With serious consequences and a failure to keep that. Today we can enter into a marriage relationship and you see it so lightly taken and 
promises are made and so lightly broken, easily broken. I'd like to just turn to Hebrews, the book of better things, and just read. Hebrews chapter 8. I think I'll begin reading to verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall to be, be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith the new covenant he hath made, the first old. Now that, which it, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And a lot of this is a quotation out of the Old Testament, a promise that God made back in the book of Jeremiah. He used Jeremiah to prophesy. That relationship now, that God coming and residing in my heart. And the only way that we can enter into that covenant relationship now, that Jesus' blood was spilt there, that it's only as we go through the blood of Christ can we enter into this new relationship. No, we don't do it as they did in that Jewish culture. We don't now stomp in his blood. And yet the parallel is there. It needs to pass through the blood. And he says, when I see the blood in the Old Testament there, the Passover account, the type of Christ, there's many types. But as he sees the blood applied to my heart, is now I enter into that covenant relationship with him. It's not a light thing. And yet so so often we, we see people, they say have the new birth experience. And yet it's become so cheap, so lightly esteemed. You can keep it if you want to, or if you choose not to. That type of a, a thing in nominal Christianity. And we understand what, what God was willing to do for me. How many times I failed in that my part of it. And yet his blood is there, the forgiveness is there. 
Well, the sister is a marvelous, marvelous grace. And yet I'd like to look at one more scripture. In Hebrews 10. And I'm not sure where I should maybe read verse 19. And Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another, to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that's what we're here together this morning for, is, is to provoke one another, to stir one another. That's what our assembling is here, is to reminder of what we're here for, what has transpired, and that we can pass it on then to our, the next generation. They understand now that's the only way that we can have peace with God is through the blood of Jesus and what he done for us. And yet as you see Christianity becoming more casual and, and lukewarm and apostasy, church is, is so lightly held. You can attend if you want to. You, if you don't feel like it, if you want to go to the ball game or if you want to do something else, you're working late, don't feel like going, but then it goes on to say, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? And hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Brothers and sisters, God was willing to shed his own blood. Because we failed to keep our end of the covenant back then. And he's provided a, a, a better covenant for us today. Where he says that I will reside in that, that, that heart will now be my temple. I'll put my thoughts into your mind and your heart. He's given us his spirit to enable us to walk the Christian life. But to count that as a cheap thing, as a light thing, to treat the Christian life in a casual, flippant, half-hearted way. He said, of how much sore punishment. 
There is a day of reckoning coming where there will, will not be mercy. God is also a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of justice. That if we hold the blood of Jesus in any light-hearted fashion, there will be a day of reckoning. May God somehow help us this morning to understand that. Because it's so troubling to see the people not comprehending what, what it, the Christian life is all about. And somehow the spirit of this age as we see Christianity becoming something that is so, so diluted and watered down in, in such a conflicting ideas and things we've got away from the pure word of God brothers and sisters it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God today is the day of salvation today is the day of grace brothers and sisters may we just anew this morning just somehow Renew our vision, renew our understanding of what it means to be a child of God and what God desires of us is obedience, a commitment, that covenant relationship where we're holding, that we're committed to Him no matter what the cost because He's done so much for us. Shall we just simply bow our heads for prayer? Father, this morning we just simply marvel anew again at your marvelous grace.